0: to you. I'm glad you're here in worship this morning and I also want to say hello to those who are in modern worship at 11 o'clock by video as well as those who may be watching this on podcast. I uh, announced this past week that I am going to be retiring from pastoral ministry in June and I want to invite my friend Will Colonna who is the chair of
1: Schweitzer's governance board to share some words with you. Thank you, Bob. And good morning. As Bob said, I'm Will Colon. I've been a member here for 17 or so years with my wife, Nicole, and I like you have a lot of questions about what's about to happen. There's a lot of unknowns and in time we'll get answers to those. But what I'm here to tell you today is there's a lot that we also know now and the biggest, most important thing that we know now is that God's presence is here. God's presence has been part of the process so far and will continue to be part of that process. Bob's been up front about by 2020, this was going to be the end. Uh, he was going to move on to another chapter in his life. So the board's been talking for the past two years or so, preparing for this transition. And we had a great idea at first, it was wonderful. We said, things are going great here at Schweitzer, we'll clone Bob. took the idea of Susan. She's like, no, 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 no. One bob is enough already. (laughs) So we moved on. Spent a lot of time in prayer. Really, truly trying to find out what is the DNA of Schweitzer? What makes this place special? And how can we communicate that to Bishop Farr? Over that time, the spirit moved within us we had, we were forced to be patient. I am not naturally a very patient person. If I'd have been the one in control, instead of spending two years on this, we would have hammered it in three to six months. We wouldn't have been butting up against deadlines so much. And instead, at every point, God said, no, this is on my timeline. I've got this. You just relax. I will reveal what you need to know. And I'm here to tell you so far he has. One of the cool things that we've discovered when talking about the DNA of Schweitzer is that throughout the last 19 years, Pastor Bob has cultivated a culture around here of being spirit-led and being open to new ideas to the point where right now we are so much more than a church, as a church, than just these four walls. We are a congregation that is out in the community. We are a congregation that is open to new ideas, that is open to where the spirit wants us to go. So what's to come? Well, immediately, I want you to put a date down. That is February 2nd. February 2nd at 10 a.m. We're going to have an open forum to discuss this transition. It's going to be led by Jim Osher. Jim is a retired Methodist minister who now consults with churches in situations like us going through a pastoral transition. He has lots of experience in this area and uh, is going to answer questions that we have, walk us through what's coming up. Then, throughout the next several months, we're going to celebrate Bob and Susan's ministry. Not just 19 years at Schweitzer, but over 40 years in making a difference in the kingdom and impacting lives. And once we know who our new next lead pastor is going to be, we'll start giving you information on who this person is, what they're about, if they're a Cardinals fan, Royals fan, Chiefs fan, you name it. You got to get the important stuff out there. So, for now, what we can do, I ask that you join me in regular prayer prayer for Schweitzer, prayer that we will continue to be open to the Holy Spirit, and that we will be open to the change that is going to occur. I ask that you also pray for Bishop Farr in the appointment process. Ultimately, that's who's going to be making the decision as to who our next lead pastor is. And I also ask that you pray for Bob and Susan and their family. They're entering a new chapter in their life. So would you please pray with me now? Heavenly Father, I give you thanks for Schweitzer. I pray that we will continue to be open to your spirit and that your spirit will continue to challenge us to grow in our relationship with you. May your spirit also provide comfort, assurance, and peace as we move through this transition process. Lord, I lift up Bob and Susan, their family. I pray your continued blessing on them. I pray that your comfort is around them as they move on to their next phase too. Lord, I lift up Bishop Farr. I lift up the appointment process. I pray for wisdom. I pray for clarity. I pray for all the churches that are going through a transition like this this year and the decisions that are going to be made, that they will truly be impactful to your kingdom.
0: As we continue to pray, I want to invite you to pray if your eyes open. And as you do that, you'll notice that in my hand, I have a baton. This baton represents the relationship, the responsibility of a lead pastor in this congregation. And it's a baton that I've been privileged to hold now into my 19th year. And over the course of the next several months, I'll be handing this baton on to another individual. And I want right now to begin that process of us actively praying for him or her, your new lead pastor. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for the great call of that you place on every one of our lives. And we thank you for the particularities in which you give to people who are called to be a proclaimer and a preacher of the gospel. So we pray for the one that is to come. We do not know who this person is, but you know them. That they would be filled with your Holy Spirit. That they would know you in a real personal way that you would bless them and their family, that you would help them in the decisions that they are to make in the coming months, that you would guide and direct them and bless them and use them with their many gifts and grace, that your favor would be upon them and upon this congregation, that you would cause this church to move forward under their leadership, as they seek your guidance we pray for your anointing your glory your manifestation to be upon them and upon this ministry in the name of the father and the son and the holy spirit amen thank you thank you will you know will is a great leader and uh, we really appreciate Everyone that's been a part of the board, everyone's been a part of this process. It's a conversation that we started two years ago with my initiation because I just know that God was calling me to do this. And so uh, it's it's not easy. It's not easy, the idea of, of leaving you. Uh, I love you more than you can begin to think or imagine. And uh, it is kind of nice, though, i got to say, to be retiring because... People say nice things about you, and you don't even have to die. <laughs> so so that, that, that's a good thing. Uh, what I want to do today is really just do what we do every Sunday. I want to preach the gospel. And, and I am really particularly excited that we are going through the gospel of Luke. And that we started this process in the 1st the of December, and we're going through the story of Luke, hitting the highlights of it, through Easter and so I hope that you're making this journey with us. Um, I hope that you're intentionally engaging with this scripture and that you're here regularly every week to uh, see what Luke has to say to us. Now today we pick up the story from where we left off last Sunday. Last Sunday you remember there were two baptisms that we talked about We talked about the baptism by water, and we talked about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how Jesus had the dove rest on him, was on his shoulder, and remained with him. And we pick it right up this week that Jesus, if you want to look at chapter 4, beginning with verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the spirit in the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing all that time and became very hungry. Now, it's amazing to me, okay, God, you've said I'm your beloved son. God, you have sent me the Holy Spirit. And what's the first thing that you do? You send me to the desert? You send me to the wilderness? What's up with that? Mark's gospel makes it even more strong where Mark's gospel says that the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the wilderness. And so the Holy Spirit leads us into seasons, into places, into desolation, into deserts, in places that are arid, and dry that we do not understand there are things and times and places we go through in life where it is a wilderness experience now maybe you've been to the wilderness physically maybe you've been to a desolate place maybe you've lived there the only experience I've ever had is driving through it where you're on the road and it says no services for the next 200 miles or so and you just pray your car doesn't break down but I have been and I probably will be again in another kind of wilderness, a place of desolation, a place when I read the Scripture and I'm going to need that knowledge from a sixth-grade teacher on some of the basic understandings of Scripture because it's just not going to work for me just the way it has before. There's, there's times and places where, you know, I, I pull out my prayer and my phone tells me when I try to connect with God, no services available. I mean, there are places and times in our life where it doesn't make sense. When we're stripped bare and we have to face our demons. We have to face our inner demons and our outer demons. We have to face literal demons and figurative demons. And when we begin to see life as it really is, and what once we knew, we don't always know quite as well or strongly as we thought we did the desert the wilderness is a place for us to unlearn some things and it's the place why where god does some of his best work it was in the wilderness that abraham and sarah were called by god to start a new nation the people of israel And after the people of Israel were led out of Egypt, out of their slavery in Exodus, they had to spend 40 years in preparation before entering the land that was promised to them. Where? In the wilderness. It was in the wilderness that God was preparing them and stripping them bare and and teaching them how to be obedient and to really lean in on him. And King David, the first 14 years of his life, Do you know where he had to spend it? In the wilderness. (laughs) The Apostle Paul, when he was called by Jesus, and he realized that Jesus was everything he he claimed to be, and he told him that you're going to have to suffer many things because of my name. Where did Paul have to go for at least three years before he started? In the wilderness. (laughs) So we shouldn't be surprised that Jesus has to spend some time in the wilderness and that we do too. So today, what I want to do, I want to talk for you with you just a little while about the temptations of Jesus, which in many ways are like our temptations. And I want to talk about ways of overcoming those temptations. Now, when you look at those three temptations of Jesus... We're going to look at these uh, one by one. What strikes me about them, let me just say this up front. They're distinctively different, and yet they all seem to be one and the same. And here's, here's the deal. The ultimate temptation in life is to move away from the person that God truly has designed you to be to compromise and to make concessions, to make deals with the devil, to punt and chuck on the responsibilities of what God has put on your plate. And so the three temptations that we're about to name and identify in many, many ways is just another angle, another way of trying to pull us away from what's up and what God wants us to be doing with our lives. The first temptation you might call immediate gratification. And we look at the words of Scripture in verses 3 and 4, that the first temptation, then the devil said to him, if you are the Son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. But Jesus told him, no. The Scriptures say people do not live by bread alone. Jesus was called and tempted to turn stones to red because that wasn't the only time he was called to do that. He was called to do that many times in his ministry. People wanted Jesus to do things that they wanted when they wanted in the sign and the timetable that they designed. Is there a stone in your life right now that you're being tempted? to turn to bread, and you really shouldn't. I think there's particular seasons in life where we're very vulnerable. I think the adolescence time, the teenage years, which many people characterize now as the years between 10 and 24, where naturally we're trying to find our true identity. I was asking Tim Smith, our dynamic youth leader, uh, what's, what's the peculiar or the particular ways in which A young person, a teenager, an adolescent is tempted today. And he says there's all kinds of temptations, but he said the primary way in which he sees our students being tempted today is that when we blow it, when they fail, when they mess up, and we all do that, they're tempted just to chuck it all. And that's the way the evil one tends to work. When we mess up, we blow it, we get too hard on ourselves. Now, there's another, adole- there's another time in our life where I think we're particularly vulnerable to temptation. That's what I call the, the midlife crazies. It's, it's midlife. It's been my observation, it's been my personal experience, it's been as a pastor that there are particular temptations that make us very vulnerable in our middle years. You know, we hit the plateau. Maybe we've hit the professional ceiling. Maybe we have to travel a lot because of our job. Maybe there's just an awful lot of responsibilities laid upon us and you know what? There's not as much fun as there used to be. Um, And guess what? We're not as cute as we used to be. We're not as charming. As we used to be. I mean, the midlife crazies can do a number on you. And you can easily cross boundaries and you can do things for immediate gratification that you never dreamed possible. And so when the devil said to him, If you're the son of God, tell this stone to become a loaf of bread. Now, let's go on to the next one personal kingdoms. The personal kingdom of then the devil took him up and revealed to him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. I will give you the glory of these kingdoms and the authority over them, the devil said, because they are mine to give to anyone I please. Now notice the audacity of Satan to say that. Friends, when we're vulnerable, there are some things that's presented to us that look wonderful And the one that's presenting those things can come in many forms, in many ways, and they can make us believe that they are the ones to give us what we want. The audacity of Satan, the audacity of the evil one, the audacity of temptation to lure us, to think that these are the things that we want, that we need, and they're not the tempters to give. The tempter isn't there to give us things. The tempter is there to take life from us. And so, reading on, I will give it all to you if you will worship me, Satan says. Jesus replied, you must worship the Lord your God and serve only him. You know, in my life and in my ministry, you can imagine there's been a lot of times in which I've been tempted. And I think the biggest temptation that's kind of ongoing for many pastors, at least for me, was the mirage of thinking that it was about me. That it was about my personal kingdom and the temptation to to use things and to use people or to protect myself at the expense of other people. I've had a wonderful ministry with you going on 19 years, and I've enjoyed 16 of those 19 years. How about that? That's pretty good. What do I mean by that? I mean that sometimes it's not that much fun. I mean that sometimes it's hard. I mean, sometimes I'm not at the top of my game. And I mean, sometimes there's stuff that makes me question you. (laughs) There's been times when it's been hard at Schweitzer. But I am so thankful that we bore with one another and we prayed for one another And we discovered that love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. But I'm getting ahead of myself and talking about how to overcome temptation. Well, the final temptation that Jesus has given is that temptation, what I call false leaps of faith. What does the devil do? Let's read the the scripture. Then the devil took him to Jerusalem to the highest point of the temple and said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Now the pinnacle of the temple was the winglet and you look straight down into the Kidron Valley, there was a drop of 450 feet. That's a football field and a half. And my goodness, didn't those chiefs play good ball yesterday? (laughs) Back to the scripture. (laughs) If you are the son of God, jump off. For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect and guard you. The devil's quoting straight from Psalm 91. And they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't hurt your foot on a stone. And Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. And so the temptation to make false leaps of faith the temptation to take things into our hands, the the, the temptation to do something dramatic, the temptation to ask for a sign, the temptation to make God do something that God is not calling us to do in that moment. Whatever it is, there are false leaps of faith. There's real leaps of faith that we're called to do. But sometimes we're more vulnerable than others to the ploy of the evil one. I think one of the things that is very difficult in our age today and our time and our culture is that, you know, we, we have our own personal truth. There's personal truth and then there's real truth. And personal truth is real. There's things that are true about you that are not true about me and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with personal truth truth, because it's things that you know you've experienced personally yourself, but I can't put my personal truth on something else. But the problem is, in a world where we negotiate and we're so subject to anything that is popular, sometimes we've punted on the idea that there's also real truth But what's the difference between personal truth and real truth? I love the words of Amy Vogel in the book, The Third Person, about the Holy Spirit, when she, and I'm paraphrasing, that we live in this world of many personal truths, but real truth is knowing. It's crystal clear. You have these moments, unwavering. Real truth is not negotiable. You can't compromise it. You can't make concessions. It's different from personal truth. Real truth is it is what it is. And it's up to us when we're confronted with real truth, when we're confronted with the truth of God, we have to kind of stop and decide, am I willing to shape my personal truth and unlearn some things? that I might learn the truth revealed in scripture. You know, temptation is real. What are some ways in which we can overcome temptation? I'm gonna be as brief as possible, but I think what I've gotta say here is pretty important. One of the important things that we learn about overcoming temptation is engaging in scripture. I love the understanding of the Bible made simple because we we need the practice of engaging in scripture. We live in a time where we have biblical illiteracy and we live in a time where most Christians do not crack open the book at all during the week. And yet the scripture is alive. And Jesus, as he engages scripture and he engages scripture with the devil, he's speaking forth words that are powerful. You know, words matter. Words, what you say in every relationship that you have, matters. How much more it matters when there are those moments where we speak forth the word of God and we engage in life with the power and the authority of the words that God wants to speak forth in our life. We can overcome a lot of temptation by engaging with and speaking forth word, the word of God. Second way in which we overcome temptation is really courageous confrontation. I don't like confrontation. I don't look for confrontation. But I find that there's times when confrontation has a way of looking at me and finding me. And there are times when I'm confronted with things just internally that I have to sit with my own anger and I have to sit with my own fear. And what I mean by courageous confrontation is I can't run from things. I can't run away and think that those things are not gonna be around the corner. Jesus never left the wilderness until it was time for him to leave the wilderness. There's times when you cannot pick up and go and run from the wilderness because God wants to do something. He wants to do something in your spirit that changes you and strengthens you. And so when I have learned to be in the wilderness and stay in the wilderness for a while, I learned to call on God for courage And one of the ways that I have discovered that God gives me courage is through dreams. I believe that there are some dreams that that are just the bad pizza that you had last night. And I had some bad pizza last night. (laughs) But there are some dreams that are from God. And I have found that when I am open to God and I have my... I say to God before I go to bed and sleep at night, you know, if you want to speak to me through your dream, through a dream tonight, I'm open. A couple of months ago, I know God spoke to me in this dream. It was an amazing, dramatic dream where I was in someone's home and the doorbell rang and I wasn't the host, but I said, well, I'm going to go answer the door. And I went and I answered the doorbell and I opened it up and it was this shady, beat up old car pulled right in front front of the doorway the window came down and the driver was pointing a gun right at me and i said in the dream what are you doing here i faced it down i woke up and i didn't wake up alarmed or afraid i woke up feeling like god through that dream was giving me some courage that I am needing these days to be who I am and to be the person that God is calling me to be. Embracing our true identity. so important. You know, when you're in the wilderness, you strip away some things. You got to strip away false identities. After June, it's going to be weird for me. First time in 44 years. I'm not going to be somebody's pastor. That's a lot of my identity. And I'm not sure that I don't have some more stripping away to do. But I have learned in my wilderness that I'm not overly identified with any position or anything I have in my hand. But my true identity continues as a child of God, as a disciple of Jesus As a husband, as a father, as a papa, as a friend, and a cardinal fan. I mean, that's... Okay, that's my identity. Do you know what your identity is? Where do you get it? How do you know it? You know it when you're willing to strip away some things that are not true. Or you learn, friends, that whatever you hold in your hand... You can't hold on it too tight. It's not yours. All this is a gift. It's a gift from God. And it's to be enjoyed. But there are some things that are eternal. Final thing I want to say... Is you overcome temptation by finding an oasis. You find an oasis in the desert, you find an oasis in the wilderness. Jesus was comforted by the angels when you're in your wilderness, you need human beings, you need relationships, you need people that you have journeyed with. Because in the wilderness, in the desert, when it's really hard and you haven't got this figured out, you got to have some people that's going to be real with you, that will confront you, that will love you, that will pray with you, that will be there for you. And so when you're in the wilderness, it's not a time to make new relationships. It's a time to lean on the relationships that you already have. And that's why the living room or any group that you are a part of where you've got real people, where you can be real with, means everything in the world. Yesterday, we said goodbye to a dear friend, Matt Henry. And what was struck about me with him and Carrie was the amazing dynamic relationships that have been walking with them and will continue to walk with Carrie in this season, in this wilderness. Time. I want to invite my sweetheart Susan to come up and stand with me because, as you can imagine, well, for 33 of those 44 years, she's been my oasis in the wilderness. And we've been through a lot of things together great things, wonderful things. And the relationships we have formed and experienced through this church has meant everything in the world to us. I just only hope that you have those kind of relationships with people in your life. I'm going to pray and ask you to pray that you help us or you pray for us to find a new oasis because we'll, we'll be leaving in June. But we also know that God's never failed us. And I'm asking you to pray for my successor that where they're leaving people and relationships that they love, they will find the oasis that we have found through all of you. So the final scripture in our passage this morning, <laughs> when Jesus stood up, the devil, when he'd finished tempting Jesus, he left him until the next opportunity came. As a band comes up and as they lead us in a final song, and I want us to remind ourselves that we overcome temptation by engaging in Scripture. We overcome temptation by courageously confronting what's staring us in the face, choosing not to run away. We overcome temptation by knowing our true identity. We overcome temptation through the oasis and the community of relationships. I'm so thankful for the community that's right here.